Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. We live in an unjust world. Injustices happen to individuals, mar institutions, and befall entire people groups. The fact that injustices occur every day is undeniable to anyone, anyone who's paying attention and following the news. I mean, consider millions around the globe are being denied a basic education, as well as a voice in the determination of their own future just because they are women, unjust. Members of the LGBTQI community are regularly mistreated and subjected to abuse and violence, all as a result of their sexual orientation. Unjust. The elderly and widows are taken advantage of and fall prey to various financial schemes. Unjust. Those who live in poverty are victimized by predatory economic practices that prevent them from ever being able to get ahead. Unjust. Minority groups are profiled as threats or troublemakers because of the color of their skin or the unfamiliarity of their last name. Unjust. Workers on the front line of society are refused a living wage, basic health care, or are cheated out of their pensions. Unjust. Refugees are displaced from their homes and left with nowhere to live or find safety. Unjust. Injustice is a reality in this world. Terrible injustices occur each day, in each community, not just on the news, but also far removed from the headlines. And the reality of an unjust world is all too familiar in the book of Psalms. As we return to this ancient prayer book of the Bible, we find that it repeatedly contends with the question of justice, what justice is, why it is lacking, where it can be found. And today, we're going to read from one of those Psalms, Psalm number 37, what's known actually as a wisdom psalm. This is not, this prayer is not a petition or a praise. It's actually more of a centering or guiding prayer. And in a world where evil appears to flourish unabated and the wicked grow ever more healthy, wealthy, and powerful, all seemingly without consequence, as we often look around in despair or anger and ask ourselves, how are we to respond to injustice? How are we supposed to live in an unjust world? Psalms like this, Psalms like Psalm 37, offer us perspective and direction, as well as hope. Hope not only for tomorrow, but hope we can embody in the present moment before us. Hope that comes from God alone. Let's listen to the first few verses of Psalm 37. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. Please read with me. Do not fret because those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Now, before we dive into the particulars of this psalm, we need to be sure we define our terms, what the Bible's understanding of justice and injustice are versus our own perception of, the, of these things. You see, people call for justice whenever they believe they have experienced injustice, but more often than not, our appeals for justice are based on personal, social, and even political circumstances. And this has become particularly true as we live at a very polarized time in our country's history and in our broader world, a time where so many feel and therefore are convinced that there are just two sides to every matter, the right side and the wrong side. The right side, the just side, is what I affirm. It's what I think is most important. The just side is what I believe is sacred and should not be violated. And not surprisingly, the wrong side, what is unjust, is anyone who does not agree for whatever reason with my perspective. The unjust side is anyone who threatens to challenge or change what I believe is good, right, and true. In other words, our sense of justice and injustice tend to be subjective. If someone runs a red light, we shake our fists and we look around for a police officer to pull that person over and enact justice. But if we run a red light and someone honks at us or we get pulled over, we become aloof. Uh, is there a problem, officer? Or we become defensive. Why'd you pull me over? Everybody runs that light. When justice and injustice are defined by human standards, there tend to be double standards, where what's right and what's wrong don't always apply to me, but should always apply to you or them. Biblically, however, justice isn't arbitrary or generic in its definition. Biblically, what is just is what God declares and purposes life ought to be, how the world is supposed to work. The way God intended for us to relate to him, to each other, and to all creation defines what is just, what is good, what is right, what is true. Biblical justice involves upholding commonality, equality, impartiality, dignity, generosity, and mutual advocacy. All of this in the midst of great diversity. Great diversity between individuals and among communities and in the cosmos that surround us. You see, biblical justice is less of a checklist of rules and guidelines and more rooted in the very character of God. Justice is, first and foremost, a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, with one another, and again, with all creation. Now, the obvious and often asked question then is, if this is justice, why is there injustice in our lives and in this world? And the answer is, because we live in a world with broken, imperfect people, all of us. As human beings, we choose, we choose to define what is right and what is wrong. We choose to define what is good and what is evil for ourselves. We deny the image of God in which we have been created and therefore refuse to see all humans as image bearers of our creator, all humans as deserving to be treated with equity, dignity, compassion, and generosity. And even though by God's common grace, we have been granted a conscience to instinctively know what is right and wrong, we violate our conscience by rewiring it, rewiring it according to what we desire rather than what the Lord wills. 
we decide to categorize ourselves and others according to our own standards. And therefore, again, not surprisingly, we are quick to categorize ourselves as the righteous and others as the wicked. But together, as we live apart from God, not reflecting the Lord's character, not living for the Lord's purposes, but choosing to live for ourselves, what we've done is we've turned human existence into the survival of the fittest, right? We've turned it into the survival of the fittest rather than, as we claim, life, liberty, and justice for all. Broken people treat each other in broken ways. This is the concern the psalmist is responding to in Psalm 37. Not our perception of injustice, not our perception because we aren't getting our way, not our perception because life isn't working out according to our rules, but responding to the lack of justice on God's terms. The world, again, not working the way the Lord created it to be, both at an individual level, but also a societal level. And with this understanding in mind, Psalm 37 describes the reality of facing injustice on a day-to-day -day basis. The injustice around us of having the strong and privileged taking advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. The injustice of cheaters prospering, of crooks getting away with it, with stealing. The injustice of those who abuse their power and authority to, to oppress and even murder others. The psalmist acknowledges from the outset how we tend to react before such injustice as we witness and experience all the God-defying, graceless ways and means that pervade the fabric of our everyday lives and practices. Now, on our own, the psalmist says we tend to fret. Great word, by the way, fret. We tend to fret, meaning we put ourselves in a constant and building state of anxiety or worry. Multiple times in this psalm, look it over, the psalmist urges us not to do this, not to fret, before the reality of injustice. We're repeatedly cautioned against responding in this way because when we stew like this, when we fret, as we remain in a continual state of negativity, of fear, of worry, of anger, resentment, or even jealousy, we're liable to end up in one or two, one of two states of being. We're either gonna give up or we're gonna give in. We either give up and take matters into our own hands, right? We strike back, we lash out, we attempt to execute our own brand of justice, or we give in. We give in to apathy. We bury our heads in the sand. We tell ourselves, well, that's just the way it is. The world is unfair. And when it happens, we look the other way. We look the other way and ignore the problem of injustice until it's staring us in the face. Sometimes we give in to more than mere apathy. Sometimes we give in to the temptation to do what is wrong because it seems to be what pays off. You know, if you can't beat them, heck, join them. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven, am I right? These days, most people, both in and outside of the church, are displaying everything but a calm and quiet spirit right now. As a nation, Again, as a global community, we are simultaneously worried, angry, anxious, exhausted, frustrated. And the response of many of our leaders, those to whom we look to and listen for guidance on television, on the radio, the internet, social media, the guidance of our leaders is either to stoke the outrage and the bitterness, the spirit of retaliation, or to rationalize and justify doing what's best for you. Stop being a sap. 
Get what's yours while you can in a world gone mad. But the psalmist admonishes against both of these reactions. Beloved, let us listen carefully, for we desperately need the wisdom of another perspective, of God's point of view for such a time as this. The psalmist warns us that fretting over injustice is wasted energy that leads to nothing good. It actually makes matters worse, not better. It adds to the brokenness of this life rather than contributing to its healing. Existing in a perpetual state of fear and worry erodes the faith that God gives us. Faith in his goodness, faith in his sovereignty, Faith in his sovereignty that this world isn't spinning out of control and destined for destruction. Faith that our lives aren't random and ultimately meaningless. My friends, if dread and melancholy these days are all that we feel, if cynicism and bitterness are our only mindset, if defensiveness and violence, either explicitly or passive-aggressively, are our default reaction these days, then we need to immediately check our spiritual pulse. Despite what we profess, Based on how we feel, how we think, how we speak, how we act, do we functionally believe more in the power of sin, in the triumph of evil, in the viability of ill-gotten gain, than we believe and live out of the power of God, the victory of Christ, and the promises of the gospel? Now, I know some of us may be pushing back right now, but the prosperity of the unjust that cheaters get rewarded, that those who do evil appear to benefit from their wrongdoing, that the ones who break all the rules are the only ones who look like they get ahead in the game of life, that only the strong seem to survive. The reality of all that injustice makes it look as if there's no moral order in the world. And to this, the psalmist answers, despite how things look, there is an inseparable, inevitable link between actions and consequences. The fruits of wickedness and evil, the psalmist declares, will not last, but will wither away. Those who persist unrepentantly in choosing to do what is wrong will eventually meet their maker and be held accountable. In other words, what we hear in Psalm 37 is what goes around comes around. Wait a second. I thought our God was a God of grace and mercy. What about the Lord's forgiveness and love? Well, indeed, we are extended. We are offered God's love and forgiveness. They are given to us, placed before us through the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No mistake there. But if we reject God's love and forgiveness, despite what we say, if we functionally refuse to live out of the mercy and grace of God, then we reap whatever we sow. That principle applies. And apart from God, all we can ultimately sow is death and destruction. You see, it's only in following Jesus that we can reap what God purposes to sow in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's only through abiding in Christ that we can reap the harvest of God's kingdom. Grace, faith, hope, justice. There is a moral order to all creation, but it is only as we yield to the Spirit of Christ who directs and empowers us both to know and to live according to the way of the Lord. It's only through the Spirit that we can experience the full, abundant, and everlasting life that God promises to us. 
Now notice, while the psalmist asserts there is a moral order to all creation, the psalmist urges us not to put our trust in that moral order, order, but to direct our focus to put our trust in the Lord. So you see, the first way we are to respond and resist evil and injustice is by continuing to put our trust in the Lord. I mean, take a highlighter and note. Note all the different verbs the psalmist uses to underscore this point. Turn to the Lord, the psalmist says. Hope in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Be still and wait patiently before the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. And I want to particularly focus on that verb in verse 5, commit. The word used here, translated as commit in English, means to roll something upon someone else's shoulders. The idea is instead of sitting in our worries and our frustrations by ourselves, which we are wont to do, we begin to resist injustice by taking our way, as the psalmist writes, our perspective, our tendency in responding. We take all our anger, our resentment, our jealousy, all of our negative feelings, those nagging questions, those concerns for justice, and we roll or cast them onto the Lord's shoulders. And with verse 7, the psalmist quickly frames how often this discipline is necessary. The psalmist frames the management of our expectations when it comes to living in an unjust world. In our world of immediate gratification, the psalmist makes it clear we cannot expect instantaneous results when it comes to the enactment of full, perfect, and lasting justice in this life. Living in an unjust world, the psalmist tells us, is to engage the long game, to walk by faith and not by sight, to be training for the marathon and not a sprint. We are to trust, in other words, what God says. We are to trust who God is more than what we see, more than what we feel, more than what we think. But we can't do this. We can't walk by faith. We can't trust in the Lord if we're determined to keep looking for karma or if we keep trying to control events and circumstances ourselves. When the world is not the way it's supposed to be, and as we find ourselves plagued with worry, We're exuding nothing but complaints. That's all we ever have are complaints or worse, rage. Let's take that as a cue that we need to get on our knees to come before the throne of heaven with the word of God in our hands and to open ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We begin to resist injustice by first coming to and relying on God, trusting that in the Lord's hands, as another preacher once declared, The arc of the moral universe is long, but bends towards justice. Now, you may hear this and think trusting in the Lord in the face of injustice is this idea of passive waiting. But it's not a matter of sitting around and doing nothing. Notice for the psalmist, walking by faith is not hunkering down in a foxhole, massaging our ticket to heaven, and biding our time until we go home to Jesus or Christ returns to this world in glory. No. As followers of Jesus, we are called to actively confront and resist injustice, not by human will or might, but through our faith in the Lord. Through coming to the Lord, trusting the Lord, we can and will make a visible difference here and now. You see, the second step that we can and must take in response to injustice is resisting evil by doing good, to counter injustice by ourselves acting justly. While this directive can be witnessed throughout the psalm, I want to pay particular attention to how it's talked about in verse 5, especially in relation to verse verse 6, and especially in relation to verse 5. These two verses together powerfully convey the idea that faith cannot be separated from action. 
committing our way to the Lord, trusting that God is in control, that the Lord will reconcile all things, that our Heavenly Father can indeed bring light out of darkness. Committing our way to the Lord, verse 5, means living as he created, as he has called and empowered us to live together. It's when we turn towards God that we then are able to reflect the image of God, the character and nature of God, the person of Christ to others. As we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we're able to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In fact, the psalmist declares that such a posture, such practices, turning towards the Lord and living out of the way of the Lord, are their own reward because they demonstrate our connectedness to our Heavenly Father. Even more than this, the psalmist says that by the grace of God, as we embody through what we think, through what we say, and what we do, life as the Lord intended, love as God in Christ has revealed it to be, God works through our obedience. As the psalmist beautifully describes in verse 6, the Lord's righteousness and justice shine through us, bringing light into this present darkness, light that we know is the light of Christ. Understand, while enacting justice is ultimately God's responsibility, we have been entrusted, we have been empowered as stewards of God's character and purposes to pursue righteousness and to work for justice. Now, this leaves us with a critical question. What does it mean? What does it mean to pursue biblical righteousness? What does working for biblical justice look like? One way we can answer this question is by probing the rest of Psalm 37 and gleaning from the repeated contrast that's made between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And a couple of observations stand out. First, what we see is righteousness is presented not in conformity, again, to a bunch of rules, but more in that relational sense. It's about how we engage with others in our day-to-day -day living. Righteousness, in other words, is less about not breaking the law as it is just doing right. Doing right, as we say, doing right by our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the wider community. Acting with fairness and equity, compassion and generosity. Again, what's insightful here is living righteously is more than an avoidance ethic, right? Steering clear of wrongdoing. It's not just about borrowing something without returning or paying it back. Living righteously is going even further than this. It's extending ourselves, not thinking of our goods as belonging only to ourselves, but giving from what we have received to those in need. Beloved, in the kingdom of God, sharing is not extra credit. Sharing is an essential part of reflecting the Lord's character and thus promoting the justice of God. What we also learn from the examples that we see here in Psalm 37 is working for justice means more than don't oppress or take advantage of others. Again, it's more than an avoidance ethic. To live righteously, to work for justice, as we see it described here, is to seek to correct what is wrong, to make right any wrong that's been done, and to advocate and protect those who are currently being wronged by inequity and oppressive treatment. These clarifications this idea of living righteously and working for justice biblically, it's kind of complicated for us right now, maybe even confused, because we're living at a time where every person wants to claim, every community argues they are being oppressed or mistreated. You know, you get into conversations and words like privilege come up, and we get defensive, claiming privilege, there's no such thing. And then we start talking about notions of systemic problems, start talking about systemic racism or systemic social economic inequality. You raise that, and then you just have people insisting, well, that's just simply not true. There is no systemic racism. There is no systemic socioeconomic inequality. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, 
There's no way you can argue against the systemic nature of injustice, racism, social, economic inequality, whatever, because biblically injustice, like all sin, is not merely an individual problem. It's not a superficial issue of a few wrong decisions and actions being made here and there. No, biblically injustice, again, like all sin, is systemic in nature. It's a systemic problem. As I laid out from the beginning of the sermon, injustice is an inevitable byproduct of humanity's willful and continued separation from God. In attempting to construct a life and, frankly, a world without God, we have inevitably created and perpetuate systems, political, economic, social, and so forth, that operate in contradiction and even defiance to the Lord's intent for all creation. A brilliant modern Christian thinker named Andy Crouch expressed it this way, Injustice is a social system in which some people have authority without vulnerability at the expense of other people having vulnerability without authority. By vulnerability here, Crouch is referring to exposure to great risk. Vulnerability is deprivation and loss. In view of a fallen and broken world, Crouch observes, we cannot get rid of the vulnerability. We cannot get rid of the have-nots, if you will. We can only temporarily relocate such vulnerability, passing the buck and the burden, building our lives on the back of somebody else. Injustice is a systemic issue. Injustice results in all its forms as a group of human beings somehow acquire enough power so they can temporarily realize their dream of authority without vulnerability, without risk or deprivation but it always comes at the expense of others who are loaded with vulnerability, who are given the risk, who are burdened, bear the burden of the loss and suffering that's not theirs to bear alone. Apart from God, human beings take power and claim authority in the only way they can, through violence and threat, and relocate the vulnerability of our shared humanity, our brokenness, our need for God. They relocate it elsewhere. And as a result, getting back to the pushback of some who you, uh, some, that some have against the word privilege. Surprise, the Bible argues strongly that the notion of privilege does exist in our broken world. From the very beginning of the formation of the nation of Israel, all the way through the prophets, on to Jesus and there so forth, our collective attention is called to vulnerable groups or underprivileged classes of people. The most common grouping repeatedly mentioned in the scriptures, as we may know, is what has been called the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, and the poor. Now, before we get stuck on these categories, this grouping was never intended to be exclusive. The broader point of this categorization, which Jesus underscores, is our Heavenly Father's sensitivity toward anyone on the margins of life, those without the privileges of life that others enjoy, the alienated, the disenfranchised, the abused, the powerless. So my friends, rather than ignore or deny it, we need to pay more attention to acknowledging our privilege and using it for the good of others, that's working for justice. Instead of arguing or denying our privilege, working for justice means following Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus laid aside his power and authority, his privilege, for the betterment, for the sake of serving those in need, for the bettering of the lives of those who were suffering. Now, working for justice isn't about one particular group of people. Working for justice is about being motivated and engaged to seek Christ's vision of life where all can flourish as God intends. 
And I'll be honest, having eyes to see and reflect such a vision means that we have to recognize, again, the advantages, the opportunities, the resources, and the power we've been accorded to which others have been overtly or subtly denied. And the recognition of this, seeing this, comes not from our own opinion or the opinion of others, typically others who happen to endorse our preconceived views. The recognition of our power and our privilege come through the conviction and word of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Are you opening yourself up to that perspective? You see, for the early church, this was the perspective through which they followed Jesus. Hear it now described by another brother in the faith. He writes, Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being to disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils in their day as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. But things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often vocal sanction of things as they are. That's from Martin Luther King Jr., his letter from a Birmingham jail, and their timely words still today, as systematic inequalities have been laid bare by the COVID-19 pandemic. As we've gone through this pandemic, those in positions of power and privilege have experienced this pandemic differently, and they continue to do so. And we need to face and address this. That's living righteously. That's working for justice. To look at this life, to look at this world, no longer from our narrow, self-centered perspective. That's what we need to do. And I'll be honest, it can be overwhelming. Our eyes, if we open them, if we let the Lord open them, can become open to more injustice than we were initially attuned to. The greater awareness of need can leave us feeling paralyzed because we can't do everything. But let's remember, it's not about us doing everything. We can't, alone or together, save this world and set everything right. We can't. That promise, that work, is that of God in Christ alone. But we can and we must participate in God's solution. In God's solution for all that ails this broken world. We have to do that rather than keep adding to the problem. We've been empowered through the word and the spirit. We've been empowered to reflect the righteousness and justice of the gospel. We've been empowered to embody the love, grace, and truth of Jesus Christ. So instead of pretending we don't know what's going on out there, or instead of acting like we don't care, let us in following Jesus commit to using whatever power and authority we have, whatever it is, and become advocates, allies, for those who are in need. My friends, there's no getting around the fact that we live in an unjust world, but the hope of the gospel gives injustice an expiration date. Thankfully, we look to a God who is just, just enough to set right all that has been made wrong, and more than just to extend to all of us grace not to abandon us or treat us according to the injustices we perpetuate, but to extend to us life. We cannot solve the problems of this world on our own. On our own, we only contribute to them. Instead, we have to keep coming back to the Lord, 
committing, entrusting our way to him, following Christ's lead of being reconciled to each other and living rightly together, and together working for justice, above and beyond what our civil law and dictionary definitions require, but instead, instead striving by the grace of God for equity and flourishing for all creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.